chapter before us is Genesis chapter 28. There are many facets of this chapter that call our attention immediately the latter. What is the latter? What does that mean? What does that stand for? But I think of verse 15. What a blessed verse it is to us, and we will recall just before the message today. And Behold, I am with thee. Is there any more glorious promise in the Scriptures than the Lord is with us? I am with thee and will keep thee in all places, whether thou goest. He's the God of home and afar. He's the God of the unknown, the uncharted courses that we may take. I am with thee wherever you go and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And I know that I'm enlarging that verse today, but... Our Lord has promised us that he will, not, he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will bring us home to that place that he's promised to us, down to the valley of the shadow of death, all the way home to glory. But until there, then, there's a life to be lived, isn't there? Filled with problems and decisions and people and things and circumstances and ourselves. And so we see Jacob meeting himself, meeting the Lord, seeing himself as he really is. Only the Lord can show us that. You can look in a mirror and not see yourself. You can look at a photo album devoted to you and still not see yourself. But the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and pierces and divides asunder the, the joints and the marrow, And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what will show you yourself. Let us ask the Lord to do just that. Lord, that is our prayer today. Show us ourselves. But Lord, show us your glory. Show us your truths, your word, your might, your plan for us. Oh, show us these things by your spirit, by the living word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Not a word of this, this book will pass until all be fulfilled. And we pray that you'd bless us and help us, O oh Lord. Teach us these things. We're in great need of your teaching. We pray that those who, who have long known you, that they would know you deeper. And those who may think they know you savingly, but have never had their hearts illumined to these saving truths. Would you show them the gospel as you showed it to to Jacob here, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As Genesis chapter 28 unfolds, we see Isaac finally getting around to making provision for a wife for Jacob. This is something so vitally important that it's inconceivable to understand Isaac's procrastination in this matter. The covenant God made to Abraham And the eventual coming of the Messiah to earth will be fulfilled through Jacob. We've seen what care, what preparation and provision his own father made in this matter in choosing a wife for him. He knows by precedent and by the Lord's will that this is such a vitally important matter. Isaac is negligent in this matter with Esau too. And and the result was that Esau made decisions for himself. He did not seek his father's wisdom or his, his father or his parents' guidance. And he, he married two Canaanite women, not one wife, but he 
uh, got two wives and, and bringing them to live in the, the family compound and causing, as we've seen, great grief to the mind and the hearts of, of Isaac and Rebekah. All this, no doubt, could have been avoided, at least that part of it, had Isaac exercised and, and his influence and his help as the patriarch of the family and fulfilled his duty as he had seen by precedent of his own father. But he didn't. He's sliding. Isaac's negligence is without excuse. As we've mentioned, the care, the provision, and prayer that was involved in Abraham seeking a wife for him, the the trusted servant sought out the bride at great distance and expense and effort and prayer and came back with the testimony, I being in the way the Lord led me. His failure in this all-important area of life with his own sons speaks to Isaac's spiritual decline which becomes obvious as he stubbornly persists in trying to usurp the clear, revealed will of God and persists in giving the blessing, the covenant blessing, to Esau instead of Jacob. But God has prevailed. And we are beginning to see something we ought to know by now, that God will have his will. He intervenes in the affairs and the schemes of man And providentially, he works his will out. He brings it to pass. And here, Isaac repeats the blessing, as we've heard read, in language more like what God gave to him back in uh, chapter 26. He calls the Lord's name El Shaddai, God Almighty, denoting God's sovereign, absolute power. He specifically ascribes to Jacob the blessing of Abraham along with the promise that he would be the father of a great multitude and that his descendants would possess the land of promise. And so with that in mind, the blessing of his father, the reiteration that he must go and find a wife, appropriate wife, we see Jacob's departure, our study this morning, we'll look in three divisions. There'll be three headings. Jacob's departure here in verses 1 through 10. And then we see Jacob's dream in verses 11 through 15. And then Jacob's dedication in verses 16 through 22. His departure, his dream, and his dedication. Isaac sent Jacob away, for, for, and for over 20 years he will be gone. This will be a long trip. I'm sure that his mother, Rebecca, thought that he would be gone just for a little while till the brother's anger and wrath had subsided and that he could surely find a wife and quickly come back home. And sadly, ironically, Rebecca will never see Jacob again as far as the biblical record tells us. Her strategies, her schemings, her intervening, had a price tag far greater than she ever imagined that she would have to pay. We do not know the detail about Rebecca's death. The scripture does not give us that. All that we're told is that she's buried in the cave of Machpelah along with Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. We'll read that in Genesis chapter 49. Obviously, God has some work to do in Jacob's life. He has about a 20-year course he's going to have to take. I see by the look on the faces of some of you that you understand what I'm talking about. Some courses take longer than others, don't they? 
And we have a lot of students here, not only in our school, but associated with the college and the university here. And, and some of you may smile. You may have a real tough course. I always ask the students, how's it going this semester? And uh, they'll say they're in their junior year or whatever, and this is the toughest year so far. And I always say, well, it only gets worse. It only gets worse. <laughs> the worst is yet to come. And then finally, you're a graduate, and then you get to really start your course. You just think you finish with that last uh, course and the, the certificate or the approval, the diploma, and then, no, there's life after all of that, and, and you put all that into practice, that theory that you learned in the classroom. The Christian life is not just theory, is it? It is lived out every day, and God must take us through all kinds of courses to perfect us and to conform us to the image of his son. Jacob is about to begin the university of Uncle Laban. He has, will meet his match. And we may smile about that, but, uh, and I don't want to, to think of this period of time in Jacob's life as a punishment. It is not that. I've heard some Bible teachers preach this good enough for him. The old schemer meets his match, and he does, but... This time is really a blessed time in Jacob's life. He learns many valuable lessons and becomes a more spiritual person through the school of hard knocks, the, the university of sanctification that, that he's about to enter, which God has planned for all of his children. But he must leave. He must leave the comfort of home, the comfort of mother and father, the family meals, the camaraderie, uh, such as it was, in that family compound. He will leave all that has been dear and familiar there at Beersheba, and he's going out on his own. I want you to picture here, Jacob is absolutely alone in solitude. God must get us that way. He does not speak to us in herds. He does place us in flocks after our conversion, but in the shepherd seeking us out, this is a one-on-one -on -one situation. And as you hear the word this morning in this congregation, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and to my heart individually. He saves us individually. He works upon the soul and the heart in the darkness of that place. The unseen part of man does the Lord do that silent work of conversion and then sanctification. Interestingly and foolishly, Esau's reaction to the final blessing of his father, uh, Isaac, is to do what? Oh, I know how I'll get daddy's approval. I'll go marry again. I'll find a wife that mother and daddy approve of. And where does he go? To Uncle Ishmael's household of all people. Ishmael is dead, but he gets one of the descendants of Ishmael, one of Ishmael's daughters, to add to his already messed up life. He erroneously thought that he could reinstate his standing, that somehow that marrying the, the right kind of person, at least in his own mind, do you see how uh, the warped, uh, unsaved thinking can be, how off base it is? It doesn't make sense to you, and it certainly does not make sense to God for Jacob to make this move, except uh, the unsaved think that people think just like they do. I can work, Daddy. I still have that old magic that I can work him. If I marry this girl and bring her home and, and she won't get on Mother's nerves, then Daddy will rescind the blessing and change the will and put me back into to the head, head place. 
How silly, how, how foolish, how far off can you be? But that's unsaved thinking. That's the natural man. This is just how the unsaved mind reasons. He must have thought that he could gain through the works of the flesh that which only can be given by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any may not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is a gift given by faith in God's word. Esau is a portrait of the natural man, the unsaved, the unspiritual man who cannot discern spiritual things. They just never get it. How tragic it is that Esau is not that he could not. He, he saw, he was around truth, was he not? Raised under the same influences, the same doctrine that his brother was, but not able to discern the, the, the spiritual things unless the spirit working in the heart and the mind revealing these spiritual truths to them. Jacob starts out on the, the long road northward. See him leaving the family compound alone without anything except the clear promises of a sovereign God. May I say to those who today may feel very alone, very singular in your place right now. There are some who come to our country and you're far away from home and, and family and things that are familiar there are others who you may be among, uh, this is where you're from, but, but still where you are in life, you, you may feel very alone. I want us to see Esau as he leaves and starts out, he has, though, the clear promises of God. And so do you. And I hope you'll see those this morning. He does not have an entourage to protect him. On a human level, wouldn't you expect uh, uh, Isaac to send his, his son who is upon whom is resting the, the covenant promises of God with him, would you not expect him on a human level, this man of wealth, to send servants and help uh, along and even bodyguards, if you will, uh, a, a group of an entourage to protect him in this 500-plus mile journey that he's about to become. It, it seems a little bit unusual for us that he would not, but as far as the Scripture goes, Jacob is alone, absolutely alone. No, no protection, uh, leaving the, the provision and the protection of his loving parents, but, but God is with him. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Your resources, your hoarded resources will reach their end someday. And God must bring you to that place where there's nothing and no one but you and God. You and your naked, bare soul before a holy and sovereign God. Lo, I am with thee always, even to the end of the world. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look in verse 15 again. Oh, we'll come back to it again and again. Mark it, treasure it. I am with thee. Would you say that with me this morning? I am with thee. I am with thee. And will keep thee in, in how many places? In some places, 
In all places. Don't you love the little word all? Everywhere you see it in the scripture, it has a ton of, a world of meaning. In all places, I am with thee and will keep thee there. Wherever you go, I will bring you again into this land. Oh, what hopeful promises these are. You will come back again. You'll be back where you should be with my blessing and my guidance. Jacob was not an expert archer or hunter, I want to remind you. He had kept the flocks. He had been close to home. His game had been easily gotten because it was tied or tethered or fenced. And he never really wanted for food or provision, not like his brother who went out hunting, although the brother didn't have to, as we've seen. But that was not uh, Jacob's uh, bent or, uh, or uh, the way he, he got his food. He's definitely out of his, his element, isn't he? The wilderness was not his forte. He was not uh, turned in that direction and really not equipped to live in, th- in that way. So this 500-mile journey, however long it took him, is quite an undertaking by foot or, or by donkey or whatever, however he's making the journey. God must at times get us out of our comfort zone, out of the place that we think where we're safe and, and we feel good about it and, and we know where everything is and all of our resources to really show us, first of all, ourselves. God cannot work in our hearts until he shows us what we look like to him because we look like to us a certain way, and we kind of like it. And we, we look in the mirror and say, that, that's pretty good, you know. And we look in, even in the mirror of God's word and don't see some glaring things and can walk away in pride, even in religious pride. I've arrived. I've kind of got it figured out. I've, I've, I've reached this point. And God has to say, no, you need to see Chris Lamb as he looks in the courts of heaven. Not in his dressing room, not in his own mind's eye, not to his own self. He must show us ourselves and then he must reveal to us himself, his own great power and the reality of his great promises. It doesn't appear that Jacob has a caravan, as I've mentioned, or any other creature comfort. We can be assured that he carried enough food or he thought enough food to make the journey, or money. I'm sure that money was no object. He probably had money or the wherewithal to purchase what he may need along the way. He must have taken food for the 500-mile journey, but otherwise he is alone. And and this, while we mentioned, why would uh, Isaac send him out that way? This is God's will. He wants to corner Jacob. Uh, in a way that would not have been able to, no doubt, if there had been a large entourage with him. You know, it's good to be alone at times. We live in a, a world, a crowded world, and even when we're alone, we have so many sounds and voices and things and gadgets and connections. Rarely is the soul alone with God. And that's why there's so little spiritual progress in so many lives. These things call for deep introspection for pondering, for thinking, for meditating, regurgitating and then bringing it up and meditating it over again is what the Psalms 1 means. It goes over and over and over as a cow chews its cud, the things heard, the, the, the mysteries of God, the promises of God. And that can't be done 
in the din of a crowded world with voices and entertainments and all the clamoring around us. And even if there are those things around us, there still must be a withdrawing of the soul within itself in the quiet place, even if it's within, with nothing but you and your God. What else does he need, though? God's presence, God's provision will outlast any earthly resources. I don't know what your resources are. You may have been very wise and prudent, and you may have a financial plan that will see you uh, for the next 100 years. I don't know. But I do know this, that no matter how uh, expertly we lay plans, there are always scenarios and situations that we cannot uh, factor in. Only God knows those things. And we see that God's provision, whatever it is, will outlast anything we could come up with of our own. The children of Israel's shoes did not wear out for how long? For 40 years. Their clothes did not wax old for 40 years. That's how long they needed to last. And God made them last exactly how long they needed to last. The blessing and covenant pronounced upon him by his father, Isaac, as he left the, the, the family compound, all, all hinge upon the power and the promises of God. They don't hinge upon Jacob. The covenant that God made with Abraham was unconditional. And he must show Jacob that although I have chosen to work through you and use you, I will do it from my own self and according to my own good pleasure. It will be from me to you. From the power and the promises of God who transcends all things, all circumstances, all people, any scenario you could dream up, God transcends all those things. I hope that gives great comfort to those of you who may be in an uncertain time of life. And let me just ask you, is there any time of life that's not uncertain? I mean, you may be 30, uh, as our associate pastors turn 30 today. Oh, for the, the youth of 30 years of age. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to go back to 30 and come back up to to this point. But is there ever a time, you may look to the youth, we think of the 30s being in the prime of life, but there are just as many uncertainties. You're looking to human strength and human ingenuity. And then there are the the other stages of life. Some of you in the twilight years, and you're, you're wondering, how's it going to pan out? How will it all end up? Where will I be at the end? And all those nagging questions that your flesh and Satan is sure to conjure up. May I point you to the promises of God? May I point you to El Shaddai, the the powerful, all-powerful God of heaven and earth, the possessor of heaven and earth who owns and controls all things. Would you rest, you've rested your soul in his salvation. Would you rest your future in El Shaddai and just say, Lord, I'm going to leave it to you how all this works. how all this comes up. It'll be your will. It won't be my, my ingenuity. I'm leaning on you not only for salvation, but for provision all the way through. They, that provision will outlast any earthly resource. He himself has promised to lead us all along this pilgrim journey, down through the valley of the shadow of death, and then into the place that he himself has prepared for us. And do you know what? The psalmist assures us, I will abide in the house of the Lord forever. Well, we not only see Jacob's departure, there has to be a leaving of his father's house to cleave into his wife. 
There has to be a leaving of his father's house for his faith to become his faith and not just Abraham and Isaac's faith. This saving faith is not inherited. It is not adopted as adopting some way of life. That is often the case, tragically. And that's why we see so many shipwrecks and so many uh, empty professions because that's all that it is. This is daddy's faith and mother's faith, but it never became mine in a real way. We see then Jacob's dream in verses 11 through 15. And we will not read that again, but just to mention there in verse 11, he lighted upon a certain place. Do you see how clearly God guides us? He got Jacob just where he needed to show him what he needed to see. I'm so glad that this is the kind of God we serve, a certain place. I love those words in the scripture because God doesn't do anything happenstance. We might say, I just happened by and I saw this person. This just worked out a certain place at a certain time. The Lord ordains these things and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put for them his pillows. I've always wondered about that, and I've never had a good explanation in anything I've read. of how, The last thing I would have done is found a pillow to put my head, a, a rock to put my head on. I think rather that Jacob found a, a safe place of some stones that had already been stacked there, could it be, that he, he rested up against, a little, a little shelter place that he's leaning against. I can't picture him lying on the ground with his head up on a rock. He may have slept that way. I don't know. I can't see how that would be uh, enjoyable. But the scripture puts that piece. There are some strange pictures in the scriptures for us. And I think rather that Jacob is leaning in this little uh, covert place there. He arrives at Bethel and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on earth and the top of it reached to the heaven And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. What is that? Jacob arrives at Bethel where he experiences one of the most remarkable dreams that any man in the Bible ever experiences. He is two or three days away from home, about 70 plus miles down the road, all alone, very alone in the wilderness when he comes to this certain place. The Lord speaks to him in a dream. And we see there what he, what he says. Humanly speaking, Jacob is helpless, isn't he? Vulnerable, open to marauding animals, and maybe uh, robbers or thieves or fierce people, or all kinds of things that you could think of. There he is, very uh, an humble place and a very uh, uh, helpless and vulnerable place, lying on the bare ground, with a rock to rest his head upon, darkness and wilderness surrounding him. But interestingly, he goes to sleep. Do you know the Bible tells us that God gives his beloved sleep? It is something that God has designed. And I wish you would just read and study about sleep sometimes. It is a remarkable gift from the Lord for the rejuvenation of our minds and bodies and for the growth of cells. And the, the, the blessing is a, a certain true blessing from the Lord for us that, that we do sleep. But sleep in the Bible is a picture of death, a true picture of man in his natural state. Man is dead in his trespasses and sins, isn't he? And we are absolutely helpless when we are asleep. 
If someone comes upon you when you're asleep and if someone wanted to do Jacob harm, they could have certainly done that. He's very vulnerable, isn't he? You're no more vulnerable than when you're absolutely asleep. You're really comatose in a sense. You're unconscious. And it was uh, when Jacob was stripped down to nothing without the props and the securities of home and family and all those securities of his father's wealth and his protection that God appeared to him. And some of you uh, are in a place where you're fearful and you wish you weren't here and you're wondering why God has brought you to this place where you are spiritually, but it's so that he can speak to you. In a way that he could not, if all was well, if you had all the trappings of security and having it all figured out and all the things that you would have at your ducks in a row, as we might say, but you're not there. You're in a very, humanly speaking, a very fearful place. And so that is where and when God will speak. God has to get us to that place and that circumstance and condition that he can speak to us clearly so that we can hear him. We drown him out, don't we? Even those of us who know him and love him, we can, the busyness of life, we can put him on the back burner. We can lay him aside, so to speak, or we think we can. And finally, God so arranges our day or our circumstances where we say, okay, Lord, I know you're speaking. Yet you've got my attention here, Lord. This is the power of God's word. It's why it's so vitally necessary that you avail yourself to it every day and think of it all the day. Not only have times where you're literally reading it or hearing it, but that you're mulling it over as you go about your other business. God's Word ought to guide everything you say or do or think. People often put the emphasis on the dream here. I hope you don't do that. We need to examine it because it is there, but the dream is a mere method that God uses here as he did before his written word was completed. Someone asked me the other day what I think about dreams. I said, well, I have them, but I don't put any stock in them. I wouldn't have any kind of science of interpreting dreams. I think or what you ate before you went to bed or you've got a, a stressful day or, or something. And we dream all kinds of things, don't we? Silly things. I always ask the grandkids, every, did you dream about me last night? And they'll often say, no, you know, I didn't dream about you. Or I think sometimes they say yes just to, get, to humor me, but we often pick at each other about our dreams. Did you dream about me? What did you dream about? But it's really irrelevant, isn't it? Don't get sidetracked in the surrounding phenomenon in Scripture. So often people look at the phenomenon and miss the truth of what the phenomenon is to show. The truth here is a, a glorious truth that Jacob is about to be shown. The dream is just how God chooses to do it. But always focus upon the truth of what God is saying. Would you agree to do that as you study the scriptures? You can you could look at the cloven tongues of fire and the sound of the rushing mighty wind and get absolutely sidetracked, which were incidentals at one particular time, to miss what is God doing here? What is he saying here? It is not so much the experience, it is the truth of God's word that should always be emphasized. We know that before the completed canon of scripture that we have before us, before the, the gathering of God's word into the testaments, that he spoke in different ways. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in different ways, divers banners, spake in times past. He chose to do that to individuals and to nations and to groups and to the fathers by the prophets and hath in these last days spoken unto us how? By his son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us whom he hath appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the world's. God reveals here through a dream, and that's all we'll say about the dream, 
to Jacob a ladder. I remember as a little boy in Sweet Singers singing, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. How many of you remember? Do you know that song? We used to sing it. We are climbing. Wrong, I can't, that's about all I can remember. I'm sure if I, if I taxed myself, I could come up with the words, but that's irrelevant here. Jacob's Ladder, which is really not a ladder at all. But I think we should understand it's a, a vast, wide staircase ascending, stretching down from heaven to the earth as wide as it is tall. So that's all that Jacob can see, this vast staircase going into the heavens. And what does he see on the staircase? Angels descending and ascending, going back and forth from heaven to earth. Some Bible expositors point out here to this being Jacob's actual conversion experience. When he truly and personally became a convinced believer. We have here a theophany, one of eight that Jacob himself will be privileged to to witness, where God appears in a tangible way to men in the Old Testament. And here, streams of angels. The Bible tells us about these created beings who serve at God's good pleasure, messengers, carrying out his will. They do it obediently and expertly and quickly, going back and forth. Jacob has here, for a moment, the unseen spiritual world opened up to him. I would tell you that not many people could handle such a thing, but the veil for a moment God brings back and shows him that there is a spiritual world that is more real than this world that we're in. And Jacob is shown the link between heaven and earth, unseen by the human eye, but that God is clearly and literally involved in the affairs of earth. God is saying, I order all things. I've brought you to this very place. Do you see what host, what heavenly host I have at my disposal? These ministering spirits who come and go at my good pleasure. He's showing him the sovereign God of the universe, intervening and interfering, if you will, in the affairs of man to have his will done. Aren't you glad of that? That God's will Will be done? Aren't we taught to pray that? Thy will be done? How? On earth as it is in heaven. The angels, these mighty beings that are mysteries largely to us, but they're very real, obediently carrying out his edicts and commands, implicitly, immediately, thoroughly, how we should as servants of the Lord and what we would do if we knew all that they know. The angels... This is what God expects of his creation. It is done in the unseen world, the heavenly world, but not here on earth, it seems. This is no ordinary ladder. I want you to know that the Hebrew word here, sullum, is only used in this place in the scripture. And and Jacob is not only used here showing to Jacob the relationship between heaven and earth. Some people never make that connection. They never make the connection between this tangible world and the, the spiritual world, God's kingdom. Psalms 103 verse 20 says, speaks of the angels that uh, exceed in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Their main job is to serve. As Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, calls them ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. What do they do for us? We who are, they're not the heirs of salvation, only we 
The created on earth, the souls of men, are heirs of salvation. And yet God uses these ministering spirits to help us along the way. Jacob knew the record of man's sin. This had been taught Adam's fall, and that God had promised a deliverer, the coming seed, the Savior, the Messiah, uh, uh, through a Savior to come through the woman. And this covenant also directly linked to him. How humbling that would be to know, to have knowledge that this covenant of salvation that God would bring to earth through the Lord Jesus Christ is being linked to him, to his Father, and that God's intention was to one day bridge the gulf between heaven and earth. How will that be done? How can God, who is infinitely holy and righteous and set apart, perfect, how could he be bridged to us? How could he be linked to us? We're absolutely the opposite, aren't we? Rebellious and sinful and filled with our own will. And though he believed and knew these things, God had to make them real personally to Jacob. Just as some of you hearing me know in your minds, the faith of your fathers and your mothers. You've heard the gospel. You know that Jesus Christ came to save, but it has not been made real in your own personal experience. This isn't a literal ladder or a staircase. There's meaning behind it. This is not some ladder that men can climb rung by rung. That song, I think, talks about climbing the rung by rung, one step by step, climbing Jacob's ladder. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't climb our way to heaven step by step or rung by rung. This good deed, staying away from that sin, doing this thing, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. This is not to be construed that there's some work that man can do to gain salvation. This dream symbolizes the great distance between God and man. The latter comes down from the clouds of eternity down to earth. It seems to go on and on and on to wherever God is. Jacob doesn't see the end of it. All he sees is this vast staircase and myriads of, of the, the ministering spirits coming and going and coming and going. What can bridge this great gulf? Who will bridge the gulf between God and man? Oh, the gulf that separated us, the old song says. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Man can't build a bridge. Man has tried to do that. Remember Babel? Oh, we'll find, we'll work our way to God on our own way. And we'll build a, a tower exceeding up into the heavens with all of our ingenuity and all of our resources and technology. We're there today, aren't we? Men building a world that they don't need God. We'll just make our own organs. We'll clone our own cells. We'll, we'll create our souls. We'll, we'll copy body parts if we need them. We have a, a, I won't go into all that today, but you can talk to Brother Johnson after the service to know what I'm talking about. The technology is astounding, isn't it, out there? And uh, like the babble of old, men thinks that they can create a world without God. But remember that? But not even man's own righteousness or religious deeds can bridge that gap. Remember Cain? He thought, well, okay, my way to God will get me to God just like any other way. And that's what people stubbornly say. We're all on this, just roads, different roads leading to God. But after all, our same goal is to get to heaven. 
And we'll get there by and by. Don't be so uptight about it or so narrow. We're all on these roads and these roads lead to God. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The, the ladder is the ladder of grace. A stairway of God's provision. His unmerited favor. There needs to be a way to heaven, but it doesn't come from man to God. It comes down from God to man, doesn't it? Jacob learns here that, yes, God is real. You are there. Can you imagine in that wilderness place and God showing himself speaking to, to, Abraham, to, to, to Jacob in such a real way? You are real. This is not just theory. This is not just something I learned at Mother's Knee that Daddy prayed about. There is a God in heaven. He does control all things. He is sovereign. I will have to stand before Him one day, and there's fear and awe encompassing uh, Jacob's heart. Heaven is a literal place. Where does that stairway go? It goes to heaven. Heaven can be reached, but only those beings are coming and going. He saw no human beings coming and going. Oh, how would someone like me get to heaven there is an unseen spiritual world unseen by the natural human eye all these things he had heard all of his life were true and can i tell you young people and older people about everything that you've heard through god's word is true but how can one get there oh the great question how can one be saved after all we are not exactly angels are we we turn to the New Testament. And I want you to turn there in John chapter 1. The Bible explains itself, doesn't it? We compare Scripture with Scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things. John chapter 1 and verse 43. Would you turn there with me? The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him. I think of that song satisfied. Hallelujah. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was the idea of that day. Nazareth was such an out-of-the-way place, and that was a byword. We might say that about where you came from. <laughs> you may come from a little wide place in the road where people would say, could anything notable come from there? And I won't mention any of those places. You just put your name in the, your, your neighborhood in the blank. Philip saith unto him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. What a compliment. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the tree, I saw thee. And far, far beyond that, Nathanael, I saw thee before you were ever placed in your mother's womb. I am the ancient of days, the knower of all things. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. In that instant, Nathanael saw it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. You are the Son of God. Thou art the King of... You're the Messiah, the promised one. Do you see that, how quickly conversion comes in the heart and the soul? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, 
that believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And here's our verse. The key to understanding Jacob's dream. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon what? Upon the Son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. How will a man get to heaven? How will Jacob be saved? How will he get there at last? By going and marrying the right woman? By going down the spiritual to-do list? I've done that, done that, circumcised that, ate the right diet, married the right woman, got it all done. Surely I'll climb that ladder and wake up in heaven one day. Oh, no, Jacob. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. I'm the God of your father, Isaac. I'm the one who possesses all heaven and earth. I own all things. I am He. I am the way. The great I am of the Old Testament. Is that what Jesus Christ said? I am that I am. He used that I am over and over again. Before Abraham was, I am. Abraham rejoiced to see what? My day. Because he knew of it. He was told of it. And here salvation comes, I believe, to Jacob. Jesus is the way. He's the door to heaven, isn't he? Jesus said, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending. Where? Upon the Son of God. Where salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. There are not many ways or many doors, many ideas. But it's the Son of God who came to this earth, died in your place and for your sin. God repeats the promise that Jacob's father has taught him. Now it comes from God himself. He reiterates it with all of its blessing and future implications. And all Jacob can do is worship. When you come to the end of yourself, the end of all of your resources, all of your schemes, all of your plans have melted away. And you look in the mirror and what you see is a hollow skeleton of a soul that is doomed without hope. Then you look to Jesus Christ, the Savior. You look to Him by faith and realize it is He that is the Savior. He has made us and not we ourselves. And Jacob saw the Savior for himself. There, I believe, he entered into not only just in theory the covenant of grace. He experienced this covenant in his own heart and life. The Lord had to show it to him. And the Lord will have to show you that. Show you yourself, your condition, your standing, and show you the door. All I can do, I'm just the porter. I'm just the usher. If you ever been to a concert or a symphony, you have your tickets or to a game or something, and it's all those people there, and you're so worried. Do you have this? I'm one of those people that always worry, okay, there's going to be somebody in my seat, and I'm going to have to tell them, you're in my seat, and the, the little lady with the fox thing around her neck is going to say, oh, no, I paid for my season's tickets. This is my place. 
and this is going to be this kerfuffle. I have this. I always break out in a sweat when I go to something like that. That when I get there and I find my place, somebody else is going to have it, or, or this is not right, or something like that. That just shows you something about me, doesn't it? But I want you to know that that God has a place for you, and it is His provision for you. Jesus Christ is the way. Let us pray, our Lord and Savior. Oh, how we love your word. And we come in adoration and worship and bow before you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would show us these things by your spirit. Oh, may we see Jesus and him alone. As we look from ourselves and the, the horribleness of our sin and our deformity before you, we look to the perfection of our Savior. And we look to you by faith and you will cover our robes, our filthy robes, and wash them in your own blood and give us robes of righteousness, the very robes of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, help trembling souls to see that. May they come just now telling you their great need and trusting you alone, receiving you alone for salvation, we pray. Oh, may this day be the day of salvation for many. We ask in Jesus' name.